0: hey everyone welcome back to the podcast this week the week of may 8th all new episodes two weeks ago we had fdic we were on location we shot a ton of content worked on a bunch of projects with different manufacturers it was an incredible week Um, And then the following week of uh, May 1st, we kind of ran some reruns as well as um, content that was shot and podcasts that were uh, recorded at FDIC with some great people. And so that was a lot of fun. That was last week's lineup. This week's lineup, though, we're back to it. All new episodes. And so sit back, enjoy. Thanks for joining us on the National Fire Radio podcast. Check out The Size Up by Robert Paparo, our buddy Pip, the little guy with the Mohawk. Every Tuesday is his episode as well as the rest of the week is filled out with all new content and interviews with great guests that support the National Fire Radio community. Thanks for tuning in. Check it out this week. We appreciate you. And do me a favor. Give us a half a second of your time and listen to the sponsors that help make National Fire Radio's podcast possible. Hey, guys, before we start the podcast, real quick, I want to mention the Gone to Texas Fire Forum and Expo being held in Arlington, Texas, on June 9th and 10th. Myself, I'm gonna be emceeing the event for two days with nationally renowned speakers that will be there for the weekend. Moe Davis, Clyde Gordon, Rick George, Mickey Farrell, Jacob Johnson, Dennis Riley, and so on. The list goes on and on. I was there last year, helped emcee the event last year. It is a growing conference in an incredible venue. Globe Life Field, which is home to the Texas Rangers in Arlington, Texas, right in the entertainment district. Right at the PBR bar, which we're going to have a social after the first night. I'm telling you right now, there's no other venue like this. The room actually overlooks the field. You get to walk the stadium. It is such a cool venue. Arlington, Texas, June 9th and 10th. Check them out. Go on to TexasFireForum.com or go to Facebook and look them up there, too. Go on the Texas Fire Forum where you can buy your tickets, get great hotel rates. If anybody's asking you where you're going this summer, you tell them, go on to Texas. This episode is brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders, they can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers check them out at taylors Tins.com and check out their full line of product offering they've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the national fire radio podcast and platform and taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours and we appreciate the support and at checkout for a little extra bonus use coupon code nfr sent me that's nfr sent me for a discount on your order exclusions do apply Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. Hey everyone, welcome back to the National Fire Radio Podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode. I don't know much about this fella, but man, am I excited to learn about it. It's a topic that we really haven't gone down and discussed on the show before, so I'm looking forward to it today. Today, I got Fire Commissioner Jared Renshaw out of the Berks, or I'm sorry, the Western Berks Fire Department out of Berks County, PA. Jared, thanks for joining me, buddy.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. Truly truly an honor to be on this podcast.
0: That's hilarious. Every time somebody says that to me, I just <laughs> laugh, you know? It's like, for me, it's a selfish endeavor of just having a conversation with cool people that have something to share, and so I appreciate that, man. It means the world when you say yeah. something like that, so I do well, take that to heart.
1: Well, there's people, uh, you know, I've looked up to that have been on this podcast, you know, like, like the fire service legends or yeah. you know, a kid look to an athlete, you know, even at 40 years old, there's still guys in the fire service I look up to. And, uh, you know, when they're on the same podcast, it's pretty, pretty big deal to me to be on that same podcast as them.
0: Bro, I think that's important, man. You, you just brought up a very good point. Let's go down this road for a second. You know, for me and you growing up we do have people that stand out to us as like legends of the job. And I use that term loosely because people get very uncomfortable, especially those people Mm -hmm. that I put in that category. They don't like being called that, but those people to me are the ones that shaped my fire service career. Right. So what does that mean to you? Like how important is that? Because I worry today that maybe guys don't look up to bigger names in the fire service. And that concerns me a little bit.
1: Well, I, I mean, I think if you're, you know, we'll say, you know, the term "you're ate up with the fire service." Yeah, you know, there, there are those that are truly passionate that truly care about the job. And I mean, I know for me, like, you know, as a kid, you know, I was fortunate. My mom got me a subscription to Firehouse and got me a subscription to Fire Engineering. Yes. And then, and then when Rescue 911 came (laughs) along,
0: I love it. You're,
1: you're able to watch, um, you know, the Times Square rescue with Ray McCormick and Patty Brown and Patty Barr and Kevin Shea. Yeah. Oh, yeah, as a kid, I played sports, but I still, I wanted to be in the fire service. And like, you know, I was fortunate, like I said, to have Rescue 911, to have fire engineering, firehouse. Like, I didn't know what they were talking about in the articles, but I still, I still read them and just pretty much looked at the pictures. And, you know, now it's, it's, you know, being fortunate enough and and to go to a lot of these conferences and some of these events and, you know, meet these guys who I looked up to as a kid. You know, and then as you continue your career in the fire service, you know it's the same way. Like you know, you look at like the founding fools and Walt Lewis, and you know, up in Maine, you know, a month ago, yeah, there he was, you know, presenting. I was presenting on the same stage as him. Yes, that that's huge to me, you know, because I'm, you know, they're are these big names, and I don't consider myself a big name at all in the fire service, and just doing what I love and and you know, helping to you know educate others the best I can and passing along that message and passing the torch and You know, there he is. These these guys that I've looked up to and that you've read about. You've read their articles and sat in on their classes. It's just that that's how it should be in the fire service. We should be looking up to all those before us and what they've. what they've done for us in the fire service that they built for us today.
0: Bro, the natural progression, right? Like, you know, you were a student and sometimes the student then becomes the teacher. And, you know, you're on today because I want to talk about a program that you discuss. I I opened the podcast with saying it's a topic that we really haven't talked about much on the the podcast. And I'm really interested because I have a very colorful background when it comes to politics and firefighting. And that's really what we're going to talk about and how the fire service and especially the fire chief, has to navigate the political waters during their career, whether career or volunteer, you know, that is certainly a big part of uh, being a fire chief and the top administrator for a fire department. But I don't want to walk away from this conversation real quick because I want to make a point too, right? is like kids look up to athletes. Kids look up to people in different fields and see them as mentors, people that they idolize. And I think we need that in the fire service. And for me and you... That's what we had growing up, right? We had those people that influenced us and made us want to be the best firefighter we could be, make us want to digest and take in and consume as much about the job as we can, because it makes us better. We need to be sure that we have people out in the industry today and the next generation coming in that can be those role models for the younger kids in the fire service. Kids want to emulate the good right they want and i just want to be careful that we get the right people in those positions and so that goes right to that student becomes the teacher and i think that's really important people that talk about their past People talk about the the mentors they had in the fire service prior to them coming up and, and being more mature and, and, you know, maturing into the fire service, if you will. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's important. And I think those are things to look at when you're looking for a role model or somebody in the fire service to emulate or, or be a mentor to you. Make sure you understand their story and who they are, because I think that all influences the type of person they could be for you.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, I, I look at. Um, a good example, even like when you get to like that chief level, you know, yeah, there's so much you can learn from, you know, you know, guys that are say a firefighter, an FDNY. I could learn a ton of, from them about, you know, the operational side, forcing doors, you know, because I'm not doing that all the time. Sure. But when I look at it from like the chief level, um, great example is, you know, Brian Nardelli from Rockstar. You know, rock they have song. the they have the incident at the at the hospital. All right. You know, then they have a job not too long after that where his guys are, you know, plucking people off of ground ladders left and right and making grabs. And, you know, he, he's standing there doing the news interview with his guys right behind him. And he, you know, sat there and really put forth uh, his guys first, you know, over, you know, over himself, over the incident commander, but really just his guys making the grabs. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting there as a chief level officer, like, well, that's that's how I should be acting. That's what I should be doing. You know, I never met the guy a day in my life. But watching his, you know, news interview and reading about him and reading what his department did, it makes complete sense that, you know, me as a chief, like, well, that's who I should be emulating. That's what I should be doing.
0: I love that. And and that is a very good point. And, you know, I just, I mean, I know Brian, he was on the podcast and, yeah. you know, I think when leaders lead for the right reasons, you know, when you watch his newscast where he's educating the news media, which in turn educates the public on the nightly news and the morning news, when he educates about the hard job that he and his, or not even he, but that his brothers and sisters faced that day doing grabs over ground ladders and so on, right? He's sitting there educating and promoting a case for the fire service as to why and what we do and the merit that we deserve. And I think that that's super important, and he does that through promoting his people and the profession. And I think, you know, and this is a good segue because I think a lot of times as people promote up the line, if they don't have the best intentions when they're early on in their career or when they're a company officer, when they become that white shield or white helmet or gold shield, right? Sometimes they lose track of the actual mission of the fire service in general.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, you know, you see it all the time. I I got some buddies that are chief level officers and like you said they they get into those roles and you know we all know you know those of us that truly care and are passionate about the fire service get into it for the right reasons you know there's people that don't get into it for all the right reasons unfortunately we all we all know them you know we've worked with them um but as, as they start to progress up that line it, it becomes more of a personal thing and it becomes more of they think their name's on the side of the fire truck yeah. instead of the uh, of the department the my department
0: how many times have you heard that this is my department yeah. No. 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 Don't get that yeah. mistaken.
1: I. 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 I yes. We. 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 Yes. You know, or or my guys, like 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 Nardelli did. You know, my guys did this. So
0: it's a really good. It's a really good point, right? Because I think that that's happening all too often. My department. I did this. I do that. I think that that is a misguided, and certainly a law, it's a misguided uh, view of, of their leadership and their position within the fire service, but also they're missing what the intent, integrity of the job is truly all about. And that's about promoting one another to be better mm-hmm. and in return, providing a selfless service to this residents and citizens that we're sworn to protect. And I think when you put I before them, you lose.
1: Yeah, you, you as the chief just have to give your people the tools to do their jobs. Yes. That's the first and foremost thing. If they ask you for something, you know, you should be doing whatever you can to provide it. You know, if they, hey, we need a new saw. All right, well, let's get it for you. As long as it's something reasonable, you know, um, because you sitting in an office isn't the one putting out the fires and you're you're not sitting there saving lives. It's It's your boots on the ground. It's your firefighters, your line officers that are really making that impact. And that even comes to like we talk about the political side um, but they're the ones that are engaging with the residents on a daily basis. You know, they're, they're the ones that are, that are making those contacts and the PR events and even just stopping by the grocery store and showing a kid, the fire truck. But, you know, you as a chief, if you're not kind of leading at the top with those, you know, kind of leading by example with how you deal with the politics and, and, you know, pushing your expectations down on this, how it should be happening. You know, then your, then your people aren't going to be in that right state of mind, or really not know the right steps to follow, and to make sure that they're representing the department in a really good light when it comes to that. You know, like I said,
0: that political side. Where did this come from for you? Because I I don't I mean uh, I know I know inherently leadership I think a lot of it is from within and personal mm-hmm. experience and so on. But like for you, like where did where did this all begin for you? Was it early on in your career, or did you learn it over time?
1: So. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you, a, I'll just, I'll go all the way back to like my first dealings with politics. Yeah. All right. So I'm like three or four years old. So my mom, she was a single mom. She was a flight attendant. So she was always traveling. So most of the time I'd stay with my grandmother. And my grandmother was the borough secretary in a little town called Carnegie, Pennsylvania, Love just it. outside of Pittsburgh. Sure. So uh, I'd go to work with her a lot. And, uh, you know, when I was in preschool, the, the bus would come and pick me up there. Yeah. So, but I had a lot of time in the morning. So my grandmother always said three, four years old, I'd come in, you know, and I had the same routine every morning, I, I'd go in, I'd get my cereal and I'd go right to the fire chief's office. They it. had a, they had a full-time fire chief at the time. His name was Larry Collins. He'd get up from his desk. He'd go sit at his couch. He'd end up letting me sit at his desk to eat my cereal. Then if I had enough time, he'd always show me the fire trucks. And then usually my grandmother would come over yelling, screaming, holler hollering because the bus was waiting for me. I love it. So, right. So that was kind of like my first, like, you know, besides the fire service side of things, it was politics because I was at the borough hall. Yeah. You know, you had council members stopping in. You had the mayor coming in sure. and, and small town, you know, small town USA. You know, we, we knew all those. My grandmother knew all those people. She worked there for 30 years. You know, she knew that, you know, we'd see the mayor at church and then the mayor owned a bar and you'd see council members all the time. That's right. Um, you know, that was kind of like my my first into it. I, you know, I just thought they were just regular people. I didn't never understood like what they did in the community. And uh, as I started to progress up, you know, get older, and then get into the fire service as a volunteer, you know, you, you still had that that political side, but not as much. You know, as a volunteer in a, a township department, well, we had four four departments in the township. Um, you know, we had our our township commissioner that was like the liaison, but you know, even then, when I was a junior firefighter, I didn't understand the political side of it and not really till I got my first full-time job in James Island, South Carolina back in 2006, you know, I really saw kind of like that ugly head of politics. Yes. We went through a time where we had the, the township, uh, or excuse me, the PSD commissioners were cutting our budget. They were talking about like taking like station supplies, at $0. They wanted us to buy our own toilet paper, um, med supplies at $0. So, I saw that ugly head of politics and coming into Western Berks where I am now, you know, working for a department that serves four separate municipalities. So if you add up, you know, the two townships that I serve and the two boroughs that I serve, you know, that's 20 elected officials. And then you throw on top, you know, the township managers, the borough managers, and, and I have my board that I report to. But guess what? All those elected officials still have My phone number and my email address, and they'll call me and contact me. That's right. I'll still go to the meetings. So, you know, that's where I I really kind of dove into the politics side because I realized I have a lot of people to keep happy here. You know, I don't have just three or four or five or seven. You know, I have twenty, and they're all wanting something different. My two townships want something different out of their fire department. My two boroughs do, and of course, the boroughs and the townships don't want the same thing. You know, and so I, I really started to look at that and go, well, what can I do right and you know, I'm not perfect. I learned from my mistakes. You know, I did a lot of stuff wrong, but when it came to some of my friends and my my peer group and my networking and you know my trusted colleagues that are fire chiefs, some of these guys they were having problems with their councils, and so we talk on the phone and you know have these little conference calls and text threads, and you know next thing I know they're coming to me and saying about, well, what do you think? And so I just I don't know started to give advice, and then next thing you know we're we're bouncing stuff off each other, and then. I'm taking what they're telling me and that's kind of how I I found that like niche to give back to the fire service and realizing the importance of hey, you could have a ton of medals, you could be the best operationally know every fire hydrant in your district. But when you get up to that that top level as a chief, the political arena is completely different for you.
0: And so, yeah, uh, 100 percent, because I lived it in the volunteer fire service and I'll give you a little background on me in a minute. But it should be said that you have a course that you offer a fire chief's guide to surviving local politics. And that's really what Mm -hmm. you're talking about now. And I didn't I didn't say it in the intro because I wanted to work our way into it, which was a great segue here. And it is, in fact, I think, you know, we we have some of the best firefighters especially let's go let's talk about the volunteer fire service for a minute right mm-hmm. because the department you're in western Berks fire Department, is made up of two municipalities two boroughs that came together it's a consolidation of four different entities that came together yep. correct you are yep. a full-time fire commissioner so you are you are uh on the the top of the pile if you will and you literally have to play the politics of keeping four different entities happy while protecting the integrity of your department and your people right yep that's a hell of an ask (laughs) it's a hell of an ask because I know for myself in a small town that I'm in as a volunteer fireman and I was chief several years ago and rose up through the ranks right like nobody prepares you for the politics of the fire service, meaning you could be the best fireman, the best barman, the best nozzle man, the best roof guy. You could then go up and you could be an incredible line officer, lieutenant, captain, whatever those positions are, even as a deputy or battalion or assistant chief where you're still an operational role. But when you get to the fire chief level or a fire commissioner like yourself, the game truly changes. And yet there's no transitional conversation or class or offering Right. That prepares you for the political side, the budgeting side, the working with the borough or municipality or the board of fire commissioners. I mean, that's literally a culture shock.
1: Yeah. It you know, they they, places will preach fire officer one, two, three, four, et cetera, et cetera. You know, for for to try to prepare somebody, either a line officer, chief level officer, and it's just not there, you know? So I, you know, coming up. And realizing that that this political arena is so important like you know the first thing you have to remind yourself or i had to remind myself was hey guess what i'm replaceable yeah you know i i'm not i i could be you know you could do a couple things wrong or you could get replaced because there's you know let's face it there's dirty politics are you, you know, are you appointed so yeah so i'm hired by the fire department okay. so we have we have, like, a board of directors at the fire department itself right. that does, like, the hiring and firing. And so the board of directors is actually made up of elected officials from those four municipalities got it. and then firefighters at large that are voted in.
0: Yep, got it. Okay, yep. sorry, go.
1: Right. So, uh, but, you know, I, I had to realize that I could be replaced at any time, you know. And so that's where it really kind of took to me, like, man, I got to step up my game, you know, and make sure that I'm on point at all times. And that's, that's not even just talking about the meetings. That's like, oh, I'm at the grocery store and I run into a council member. Yes. Well, even then that time, like I have to make sure I'm not, I'm not acting a fool, you know, like I'm, I'm doing things. I'm, I'm having a good conversation with them. I'm not speaking out of turn. Um, I'm not saying something I shouldn't be saying, even though I'm off duty, you know, you're still the face of the agency Yeah. and you, you have to. Always remember that, you know, you're representing your fire department, especially in small town USA. Even when you're not in uniform, they're going to know who you are.
0: Yeah, well I mean, come on. I mean, that that just goes without saying, right? And you know, especially if you have a vehicle and everything else, right? Like you have to be able to carry yourself 24 hours a day in a way that represents the organization because that sets the tempo. If the fire commissioner and the fire chief is going to, you know, step out of out of line if you will, then that allows everybody else to do the same. And so you truly have to be the leader of the organization 24 hours a day. Talk to me a little bit about those relationships because like were you a Were you a talker? Were you a schmoozer? Because here's the thing, right? I think about, and I I painted the picture before, best fireman, the best line officer, you get thrusted in the chief's position. And now the game changes. Yeah, you still get to go on boxes. You get to go to fires and Mm -hmm. so on, right? However, however, the majority of your time is spent making agreements uh, appeasing people while trying to keep your own people happy finding that balance between political process and the fire ground because frankly they are they couldn't be more separate in the mission (laughs) of the fire service right right? and and you know and so talk to me a little bit about that content if you will or that that uh the complexity of of that and being able to, you know, d- did you always have the skills to bridge that gap between the fire ground and town hall?
1: So I, I think, you know, uh, when I worked out in California um, is where I really kind of wanted to, I right not say I, I wanted to build those skills, but where I had to build those skills. Okay. Um, you know, just because of the, the structure and how the department was funded, you know, not only was I a chief level officer, but I, I learned early on, you have to become an ad executive for your fire department as well. You know, you have to become that person that's always, like I said, besides being the face of the agency, but you have to sell your department salesmanship, the time, especially, 100%. When, especially when, especially when funding is always a big portion. Yes. Um, but I, I've always been able to talk to people. My friends always joked and said I should have become a politician. Ah. You know, that was always kind of like the ongoing joke.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but what I have found out is that, OK, A, you know, you have to be, you know, educated with your own department. So. When I'm going into these meetings, or like I said, if we're talking about, you know, a service agreement, or we're talking budget time, or, hey, I need more money. Well, first thing is I have to be educated on it. I can't go in there, you know, half ass and, and not know what I'm talking about. You know, I, I have to really be on my game. Um, the other thing I've found is to be just very passionate when you talk about the fire department. Yes. You know, when you're talking about your own agency, you know, if you're just sitting there, all right, guys, hey, we, we need some more money. Yeah. Like – nobody's gonna nobody nobody's gonna listen to you no if they if, if they see that the top person in the agency just you know being all nonchalant and just you know kind of timid and no you need to go in there and be like hey we need more money for the fire department and this is why conviction and i'll give you i'll give you seven examples of why i need more money right now yeah um the other thing is, is just to be nice like don't go in there and try to fight all the time you know there's there's truly, I think fire chiefs and politicians, like you could read it, you could Google it. There's always a constant fight, right? There's always an ongoing fight over something and they're going to nitpick it and have the, just these, these dumb arguments that don't lead to anything. And I've found just to be, just to be kind and just to be nice, like the grateful dead. Yes. yeah. Like, you know, go in there and, and just be nice to these people, you know? And what you'll find is, is you're really starting to, you know, yes, you're going in for a professional meeting, but what you find out is, is that the professional meeting only takes about 10 minutes or maybe five minutes. And right. the next, you know, you're talking about your family. You're yes. talking about their family. You're talking about this. You know, you're bringing it down on, on that personal level just because you're not going in there wanting to fight. You just want to go in there and, hey, you're passionate about your department. It shows, you know, it rubs off. And, hey, this is this is why. Hey, can let's, let's talk. Let's sit here and have the conversation. Let's not fight. Let's just talk about it.
0: You know, a lot of a lot of people, you hear it all the time, frustration, right? You know, on the chief level when they're dealing with the municipality or the town or the districts. And, you know, there's something to be said for that. Politics is is a very broad stroke word, and there's a lot of yep. things that fall under politics. And part of politics is understanding it's strategic. It's chess, not checkers, right? And so yep. you have to understand that you might have to give something here to get something there, and that's just the nature of politics. The problem is, is a lot of people that get thrusted into the chief's position, they're not well versed in salesmanship. They're not well versed with uh, patience, if you will. And so I think a lot of that gets lost. And what I'm concerned about, and I see it quite often, is when a leader of a fire department brings back the frustration to the department level. And and sells it as a bill of goods to the department that the town's not willing to work with them, the town's not doing this, they're not giving us that. And before you know it, it becomes almost like an entitlement conversation where we we deserve everything that we ask for and more, right? Yeah. That happens all the time. We think that we're never wrong. And so if we're asking for a new truck or a new personnel or new gear, or new SCBA, right, without even understanding the repercussions on the back end when people are protecting the tax structure within the municipality, right, the, the funding and budgetary lines, operational versus capital, like what we have to do as a fire chief is become very well versed in the process, not just of your own people and what you need, but you also need to understand how the town or the municipality works as well.
1: Yeah. So I would say like, you know, they talk, there's all these different articles talking about looking at things from the 30,000 foot level. Yes. You know, and I, yeah. Okay. I, I get that, but I also look at it from what I like to call forecasting. Okay. All right. So I'm a huge, I love, I love Gettysburg and I love like, you know, the people in Gettysburg and, and the leadership stuff that you can learn from it, especially like, you know, on, on, you know, June 30th, when, when general Buford comes in and he starts forecasting and he says, you know, if we don't hold them tomorrow, they're going to take the heights of the town and we're going to lose this. Yeah. And so that's always stuck in my head about, all right, I have to start looking like you were talking about repercussions or how is this going to affect us a month from now? How's this going to affect us a year from now? And I've always kind of looked at, and that's how I try to you know, strategically thinking and doing things, even like if you're talking about writing a policy, or you know, if you're dealing with your politicians, how's this going to affect us down the road? Yes. Because think about it: if we align ourselves with the Republican board, and a Democratic board comes in, how does that look?
0: That's right. Absolutely. Right? It's, it's politics. Look, it's going to
1: look bad for us That's down the right. road. Right. Right. You align yourself with the wrong people. You know, so you you have you have to play that middle of the road type of thing all the time, in, in what you're doing, um, and. You know, with the fire service, think about it. We're the jack of all trades, right? We get something that a new thing comes up. Oh, hey, we have, we're starting to get major flooding in our area. Well, who's going to take care of it? Well, not the police department, not EMS. It's going to be the fire department. So we're continually taking on more disciplines. Our call volume is continually going up. Right. And most of the time, yeah, our budget may go up, but a lot of times it will stay stagnant. But even when it comes to that forecasting side of things, and, you know, trying to immerse yourself in a local government, that's why I always like to look at, all right, well, how how's the police department operating? How's the public works operating? You know, if I could forego a fire truck for a year or, an, or a fire SUV for a year and give that money over to the police for a capital purchase, well, guess what? It just made the fire department look like a bunch of rock stars. You know, it bought us some political clout for the next five years.
0: And, favor- you know, was- and favoring with the department that you're helping.
1: Right, right. Yes. So the police chief's going to be like, oh, my God, thank you so much. We went into this budget meeting without arguing. But in the town, you know, you bring it up at the meeting. Hey, you know what? We're, we're good. We're going to we're fine with our fire SUV this year. We're going to give that money to police. They really need a new canine car. You know, give it to them. So you try to immerse yourself into that government and, you know, learn how other people work. But also that forecasting and also currying that favor. And, you know, it's not really aligning yourself. Cause you want to play middle of the road, but how could you do this today? That's going to benefit you a month from now, a year from now, five years from now.
0: Yeah. I wrote down on, on my pad here too. It said, you know, Gettysburg, you know, it talked about forecasting Gettysburg. I love that. Right. And I think forecasting is really a, 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 a strong term that people don't understand enough in regards to laying that groundwork for the long play. Right. Because mm-hmm. nobody likes the long play because we all want it now. This episode's brought to you by Teledyne FLIR. Teledyne FLIR is the originator and creator of thermal imaging technology. In 2013, FLIR launched the K-Series camera for the public safety sector, in particular firefighting. They have created cameras over the last 10 years for every position on the fire ground. From tactical to situational, their cameras help us make the right decisions on the fire ground. So check out Teledyne Fleer, check out their product offerings and engage them on their social media and ask them for more information and education in regards to their product. Teledyne Fleer is pro- producing one of the best cameras on the market and they're a proud sponsor and partner of the National Fire Radio Podcast. So go over to www.fleer.com and look up the public safety file and you'll find the latest offerings from Teledyne Fleer. We have, this, right. we have this expectation of immediacy in life, not just in the fire service, but in life. I need something. I could order it today. It's at my doorstep tomorrow. Right. right. Like, Amazon brings it tomorrow. Thank 100%, you. right? If I want to watch a show that I missed, I can just go and, and watch it on demand, right? Like everything we've created an immediate dis- a society where, you know, we actually value our time more than money these days. Right. When you ask somebody like, how you doing? Oh, man, I'm busy, man. I'm running out of time. Nobody says like, oh, man, I'm poor. I wish I had more money. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. So like in this world for you, you have to then find a way to communicate that with your people. Right. Because you have career staff, you have volunteer staff, and they're looking at you as their leader. And whatever you can or can't accomplish with the municipality or the board of fire governors, whatever you have in your district. Right. Right. Like mm-hmm. they're looking at you saying like, Oh, he was soft there or, Oh, he got us this. Yeah. Great. You know, like there's no, there's no win. Right. Because as much yeah. as you have a victory or a, or, or a win in your column, two days later, you're going to have an L you take an L man. Right. And
1: well, and that's where you said it. Like you, you, you hit the nail on the head because it was while we were having this discussion, this is exactly what I was thinking about. And you know, there like you have to be st- strategic in your thinking. Yes. All right. Like the forecasting. Yeah. I don't, I don't have the crystal ball, but I could sit there and try to come up with a best case scenario. If I do X, Y, Z today, how that's going to affect me a year down the road, you know, or I could come up with the worst case scenario for the same thing. And unfortunately, sometimes the boots on the ground, maybe don't have an understanding of why that's, you're doing what you're doing. That's right. You know, and it's tough. And like you said, you don't, you don't want to filter stuff down. You know, I don't, want to sit there and go in and, and be bashing my municipalities on a regular basis and be like, Oh my God, they did this, they did that, or they didn't do this. You know, I don't want to be that person. I want to be that buffer that my people don't have to worry about that. I just want them focused on firefighting. Yeah. You know, but, yeah that's what I want them focused on.
0: A hundred percent. Leave the politics to me. Yeah, and, no, I agree that's with that's, you. Um, and I just wanted, know, I just wanted to piggyback on that. Right. Is yeah, like, that awesome. That's super important because you could have a rough day in town hall Come home, vent it to your people. The next day, there's compromise and everything wins. But if you vented to your people 24 hours earlier, that's all they're going to remember. And so you set this precedent then where where your rank and file, your officers below you and the firefighters think that the town or the municipality or the district is not working on behalf of the firefighters. And it creates this underlying tension that doesn't need to exist (laughs) if you could just bite your tongue and not vent down to your people.
1: And you got to remember like there are times you have to vent. 100%, right? like, 100%, man, 100%. And you know who you know who is the best person I find to vent to is the is the police chief.
0: There you go. He
1: understands it, it. it. He gets it. It's, he understands it, but he's understanding it from a different viewpoint.
0: Yeah. You
1: no, know, because it, it's I could talk to another fire chief, but hey they all right, they get it. You know, they under they know where I'm coming from, but it's great to actually talk to the police chief and he'll he'll give me kind of a, uh, you know, a little bit of knowledge on his side or maybe a little bit, oh, well, hey, it was done this way. Because, you know, he may have a better understanding of it or maybe yeah. some more. Info. And he
0: knows the individuals involved.
1: Viewpoint. Yeah, definitely a different viewpoint.
0: Yes. Yep. Yeah. I love that. I mean, he, so let me ask you this then. You, you talked about the middle of the road before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when when playing politics or partaking in politics, we have to be careful where we want to plant our flag, right? We, we got to yep. be very careful in how that looks. But a lot of times when you talk about middle road, that can sound pretty wishy-washy too, right? And I don't, I don't mean you were sounding that way, but it could no, no, no. sound that way, right? There are going to be times that the fire chief or the fire commissioner has to put their foot down. They have to draw some type of line in the sand if their message isn't getting through. And that's when playing that middle of the road, the back and forth, playing that chess, sometimes you have to make a stand at chess and, and kind of hold people accountable or to put it on the line to say, we can't go past here. This is my line in the sand. What does that look like for you?
1: <clears throat> um, so remember like early on, I was talking about, you know, you're, you're being educated on things, you know, you as the fire chief having the full on education. Yeah. And that's, that's first and foremost um, is that you better be well-educated yes. on what you're discussing, you know, cause you don't, you don't want to go into that meeting or, like you said, plant your flag. Like, you know, I, I use that term, the hill I want to die on. There you go. All right. Yes. So there are, don't get me wrong, there, there's things that, like, early on in my career as a chief officer, I wanted to fight every battle. Right. Because I was young. I get it. I was arrogant. I was there. And I was like, and I'm going to win each and every battle. And as I get older, and especially after I had kids, I learned you're not going to win every battle after having children. And, you know, that's kind of the thing. What what fight do you want to take on? And then what fight do you want to jeopardize? I like to use the term proverbial troops. Okay. And and not just talking about the firefighters that may be impacted by your decision, but like the political clout that you've garnered, the support in the community that you have, you know, a multitude of other things are, are you know, basically come up as your proverbial troops. And, it, and it's really just like you said, it goes back to that forecast and it goes back to you know, hey, what what is the hill I want to die on? If I stand up on this hill today, how's that going to affect me in a year? How's it going to affect me in two years? You know, but it, for me, it's always been one of my biggest things to stand up for my people. Yes. You know that that has always been first and foremost. And I had it happen a couple of years ago. I had one municipality, their supervisors were not happy with a budget increase, and they decided to call another fire department and ask them for a quote for service. Hmm. And this was all done very backdoor. Um, <clears throat> people weren't aware of it. And some of my career firefighters found out about this. And this is right before Christmas. right? So, of course, what do I have guys asking me? Yeah, hey, am I going to lose
0: my lose job? Lose our jobs, yeah.
1: Right, am I, am I going to lose my job? And, you know, yeah, I went and stood up for my guys. You know, I knew that it may have some repercussions down the road. But you know what? I knew that I could at least hold my head up and know I did the right thing. Yes. And what? Yeah, I I garnered a lot of support from my people, you know, after doing that. But, yeah, I think when you're talking middle of the road, yeah, it's definitely, I don't want to say wishy, like you were saying, wishy-washy. It's more so of your alignment. Like I said, you don't want to be on the far left. You don't want to be on the far right. You know, you have to treat all of your elected officials the exact same way, regardless of, you know, political affiliation or their political clout at the time you know, are they on the majority? Or are they on the minority? Well, even if they're on the minority, you still better answer their questions kind
0: of thing. 100%. And I think that goes right into education, right? You talked about educating yep. yourself so that when you're in there, right, you have the abilities to answer the questions that are going to come at you. And I think a lot of times chiefs are not prepared for a for an involved back and forth. I think, you know, I've, I've seen it firsthand where they go in, ask for money for a project. Next thing you know, there's a thousand questions coming at them and they're not well-versed or educated enough to be able to answer the questions uh, satisfactorily. And so it looks like then the ask isn't worthy. And so I think that's important. But the other thing too is I think we're also our own worst enemy when it comes to educating the residents as well as our town fathers or the municipality mm-hmm. about who we are and what we are. I think I think we we shy away from having an open door policy in regards to who we are, the services we provide, and if our services are as good as we say they are, or if they're not. Right? Because I'm looking at it now where, you know, you have a lot of departments. Now you're in a consolidated department and I'm sure that did not go easy. I'm sure no, there was no that never It never does. Right. (laughs) Never does. But but my point is, is there's a lot of conversation now more than ever with volunteerism dipping. Right. In most parts of the country. Right. We're looking at consolidation models and we're looking at how we can do more with less. And the problem is what I find, I think most fire departments are shying away from educating the municipality or the district they protect about their true struggles. And so I yeah. think that then that creates a false sense of security for the town and the people and the residents. And I think we're afraid to have those real hard conversations to bring people up to speed and educate them that we might be dropping the ball on a regular basis.
1: Yeah. it. I mean, we're, like you said, we're our own worst enemy. Why? Yes. Because we're all type A personalities, right? We don't, firefighters don't like to lose. Think about it. Like we don't, when you go to a fire, you don't want to go defensive, right? You want to go offensive you want to get in there and put it out. Because if we go defensive, what does that mean? That we lost, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's how we look. That's how we view it. That's how we look at it. But it's, it's the same thing. And if you have people like, fortunately like for Western Burks, you know, this, this merger all, all occurred way before I ever got here. Right. And there were some great people in place that, you know, really saw the need and they like, they forecasted again, like they, they saw that need and said, you know what, down the road, we should really merge together. This makes sense. And then the hiring of career firefighters and, you know, you're seeing it more and more throughout PA, but you know, a lot of people, like they don't want to educate their elected officials. All right. They have too much pride in themselves or they think it's their last name on the side of the fire truck and not the department name because they start to make it personal. Um, you know, they just don't want to do it. You know, they, they don't, they don't want to ask for more money or they don't want to ask for for staffing or they don't want to say, "Oh my God, we're not getting fire trucks out the door with with actual firefighters on it. We're getting an eight year old guy and two juniors. nobody Nobody wants to say that. Nobody wants to provide Nobody wants to provide the data, and nobody wants to why? why? Oh my God, we're, why? we're failing we
0: have we have an obligation, right? You as a fire commissioner, is in charge of, of four different municipalities, right? I can only imagine how many thousands of people are within that response district, right? But you're responsible for their public safety. I don't know any fire chief that literally wants to be held responsible for dropping the ball, right? We run on this crazy belief that it's not going to happen in our backyard. Mm-hmm. And I yep. think I think we need to get away from that scary mindset, and believe that we need to educate our town fathers, the districts, the council members, the mayor, about our true situation. Because if we don't, it hinges on us, solely on us.
1: Well, here, Jeremy, let me ask you, how many how many departments are actually doing, have decent data collection to show the numbers?
0: Well, I mean, I know we do in our area, right, because everything's computerized here, you know, and so right. on. but. You're right. I mean, most of this country, I mean, you know, when you, it's funny, I just had this conversation the other day with somebody, and when we talk about the American fire service, right, it's like a lot of times, you know, the focus is on the busier suburban areas that are outside of major cities where they have, you know, a a decent amount of volunteers, they're going to fires and so on. But when you start talking middle America, when you start talking about the more rural communities where it's made up of literally the business owners and farmers and mechanics and wastewater treatment, you know, employee, like this is, that's what the American fire service is made up of, right? Like that's the majority of it. And so when we talk about things like this, it's very easy for me in Metro New Jersey, 25 minutes outside of New York city. Like, yeah, everything's computerized here. Everything's this, everything's that. But when you talk about the American fire service, which we reach with this podcast, a lot of them are still logging things with pencil and paper. Because it's a yep. small community that's going to a hundred calls a year, but they're going to seventy fires, <laughs> you know? Like right, right. it's just a different makeup. So we gotta be careful when we when we talk about the American Fire Service and paint it with a broad brush. It is very broad and it's very different. But you're right. Who's keeping track of that data and who's reporting? that data but I think if you have the abilities you know if your department is is strong and effective or you know that you have that 80 year old guy driving with two juniors and one guy shows up in his personal vehicle and whoo good thing that was a co alarm or a right. food on the stove call and not a structural fire with people trapped right like so yeah. That's that's really the conversation we have to have like can we provide adequate staffing 100% of the time because that's what our residents and citizens require from us and they blindly believe we are going to provide them with that service 100% of the time
1: right as long as as long as a fire truck shows up that's what people want you know that that's what people want they dial 911 and it shows up they don't. They never ask the question. Well, who was on it? Are they trained? That's right. Are they not trained?
0: Yeah, you know, you're it, right. Happened. We just provide that right. number, right? Four members, right? Responded. Right. Or seven members. Right. Yeah, we, you're right. Right. We had four. And you
1: remember, there's a chief out of Chicago that had that great ever that had that great quote about when the public dials nine one one, they want a fire truck there in a the minute with like ten Olympic yes. athletes, yeah, 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 right. doctorate firefighters. Yes. yes. That that's it. That's what they want. But the reality of the fire service, and it's it's everywhere. Like even even all career fire departments, they have their struggles, right? You sure. know, you have places with the brownouts, places that I've worked where, you know, oh my God, you know, we couldn't fill overtime because of the budget concerns. And it's it's even the same when you come into the volunteer fire service. So the little town I live in is not in my fire coverage area. It's just outside of it. And it's an all volunteer department. You know, we run automatic aid into here. My, you know, my career guys go here, my volunteers go here. You know, we don't ask for a set back billing, none of that. Just great automatic aid, great HLA. Yep. Right. But you know, I, I sit here and I look at like there's no fire tax here. Hmm. You know, these guys are still having pancake breakfast and they're still, you know, doing the solicitation and they still have the bar attached to the station that you know, the social club that provides money. But yeah, we have commercial businesses here that if their people aren't going, well, then how are they being funded? Right. You know, like, so you're basically looking at residents to supplement, you know, fire protection for a lot of people, you know, monetarily wise. And, you know, that that is just putting that burden and that struggle back instead of just saying, hey, let's do let's do this to support our fire company and take less of the burden off. You know, they're having to put more focus on the financial side of things just to keep fueling the trucks and the lights on. Than they are to actually like worrying about training and making themselves better and responding to calls. Yeah, and is is like you said, as our disciplines pick up, guess what? Our call volume keeps picking up as well.
0: It does it does, and you're right, and and I think that the focus, right? I I think there has to be this fine balance, and this is where relationships matter. To bring it back around to the conversation. The relationship between the fire company, the fire department, the fire district with whoever governs them needs Mm -hmm. to be transparent, open and honest, because that's how you're going to get more support. You know, and like ultimately we need our members now to focus more on the services we provide, the training we can do to better our own position and not have to worry about where the next, you know, how we're going to pay the electric bill in the firehouse because, you know, we're struggling as a department. You know, there's great pride that is ingrained in the volunteer fire service, right? Mm -hmm. And so with that comes the great pride of focusing on how do we keep our organizations alive? And so, you know, people are working harder than ever. When the ranks are thinning out, there's more jobs to be done with less people. And a lot of times, if you're only going to 100 or 200 calls a year, your training and the operations will suffer because the other side of it becomes more important to keep that volunteer fire department yeah. alive. I get it, man.
1: I totally get yeah, that. There, there was a great report I read from a fire company here in PA that did it like an annual report. And, you know, they, these guys, they have, they have their act together, but I was shocked when I'm reading this report that they spent more man hours on funding yes. than they did on. Training. Right. And I mean, that's, I think that's a majority of, you know, the volunteer fire service, like, The volunteer fire service in Pennsylvania, that's the majority of it. Like, we're fortunate at Western Berks, we have a fire tax. You know, we're fully funded by our four municipalities. We have a great incentive program for our volunteers. We have great stuff for them. You know, even with all that stuff, we're not, you know, yeah, we have people that come through the door. We've done a good job with recruitment. You know, we don't always do the greatest job with retention because, hey, we run a decent amount of calls and we require you know, a pretty hefty training regimen. Right. But I, I couldn't imagine these poor departments that, you know, like I said they're spending more time, you know, having bingos and spaghetti dinners trying to, you know, and we're, we're putting forth this great effort for training. Yeah. But I, I couldn't imagine that. I couldn't imagine having to spend more man hours on funding than training. Like you said, it comes back to the top. It goes to the municipality. It goes are you being open and honest with, hey, we're not getting a truck out the door with an effective firefighting force? Why Why aren't we doing this?
0: Yeah, and, thing. and you know, the conversation, too, right, is, you know, yeah, I, I agree with all of it, Jared. And you yeah. and I are very much on the same page with a lot of this. Yeah. Um, you know, and when you have a transparent relationship and you're allowing yourself to be a little bit vulnerable to really paint an accurate picture to the people that govern you, it's not a failure on your part. Yeah. Unless, unless... It truly is a failure on your part, which is something that does exist. We do have people in fire companies and fire departments that are not doing the right thing 100 percent of the time. And those people are the ones that truly have to protect what they're doing, because if they're found out or there's, you know, inappropriate behavior or anything going on that's not appropriate, you know, you're going to lose. So those people are super protective. But I'm saying if you have a department that is 100 percent, Open and honest about your operational abilities, your staffing, the services you provide, and you start to drop the ball on your responsibilities. You have an not only do you have an obligation, you have to let the right. other people know that help make decisions that you are starting to suffer. And it's not a, it's not a blip on your map that you've done something wrong. It's just the nature of the beast. Whether it's the fire service, the library commission, the wastewater commission, the boards, the planning board, the zoning board, all these elected volunteer positions, everybody's struggling for volunteers. It's not just the fire service, society has changed a little bit. And so it's okay to admit that you have some faults, but we need to do that and then come up with an effective plan. And when our people are too busy raising money or being involved to keep the lights on at the fire hall instead of training so that they can save their neighbor when need to, or when they need to, you know, then we're failing. The equation doesn't work anymore.
1: No, it's... I I just... (laughs) You know, you you look at it, like you said, you see it all the time. And, you know, I just feel for the departments that are that are truly trying to do the right thing. You know, they're the ones that are scraping to get by, but they're still putting forth that effort. You know, they're still putting forth that effort for the training and and, you know, to to make sure that they have the best equipment on their rigs and they're doing truck checks. And, you know, that's why I I see it all the time in Pennsylvania, because you're talking about the broad you know, stroke of the brush yeah, yeah, of, the, yeah. of the American fire service. It's well, everywhere though. I mean God but sure Pennsylvania. I mean think about how diverse the fire service is in Pennsylvania. Sure. You know, when you go through, you know, outside of Philly or Pittsburgh to very, you know, rural places to, you know, outside of Harrisburg, you know, you see it all the time and you you know you hear about it and you have these conversations with people. Um, and you know, like you said, I I, tr- I tried to, hey, let's have these conversations about working with your elected officials, you know, and and working with them and you know, well, one of the big things that we face here, you know, just to tie it back in is, you know, legislation wise, you know, there isn't a whole lot of of legislation in regards to, you know, hey, you have to have a fire tax or you have to do this or you have to do that. You have, you know, borough code, you have township code. But, you know, we as the fire service, we don't really have a whole lot to fall back right. on in Pennsylvania. Right. You know, we don't we don't have a training requirement in Pennsylvania. So. You know, we, we're we not a, you know, we don't have that stuff to go to bat for us like a lot of other states do. And that's where I think one of those big disconnects is that you're talking about the education side. But like an elected official, well, unless their feet are being held to the fire, no pun intended, to actually do something for the fire company, they're they're not going to do it. Yeah, you know, we could do our best to educate, but they're still not doing it.
0: Well, I get that. Right. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, every person in the United States of America should be guaranteed protection and safety wherever they reside or visit. And we have an obligation to provide a service that reflects the very best in what we can offer. And if we're dropping that ball, politicians have a duty and obligation to act to make sure. And I think they can't be given an opportunity to do anything better on our behalf if we're not educating them about what we need and where we are. So... Yeah. yeah. So Jared, what's next for you, brother? I mean, you know, you, you're doing great things. You teach on a national level. You got a lot going on 25 years in the fire service. You bring a lot to the table brothers. This has been a fantastic conversation. What's next yeah. for you. Are you doing any teaching talking? What are uh, you doing?
1: Yeah. So I'll be up at, um, uh, New York state chiefs, uh, next month in June. Uh, uh-huh. I'll be presenting up there again, like, a, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm awestruck that I get to share the stage with some, Truly, truly legends. Good. In the now show. get
0: over Very it and do awesome. your job.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see what else. I'll be out at Firehouse Expo in September. Cool. Um, you know, got a, another article coming out for Firehouse magazine here real soon. I'm finishing that up. But really just uh, you know, besides the day in, day out, you know, here with Western Burks, just uh, you know, stuff with my kiddos. I love you it. You know, that's uh the family is uh, you know, if there's anything I could leave anybody with, you know, make sure you always put your family number one and never never jeopardize that with the firehouse so that's always got to be your you know most important thing but yeah I, I loved it Jeremy this was fantastic thank you so much for uh, having me on
0: so. this is a great conversation man it's you know we're talking about things that I didn't even go down my road I mean you know just we got a few minutes here so let, let's go down this yep. road real quick just to give you a little background but I grew up in a house where my father was the mayor of my municipality for 12 years. He was yep. a he was a councilman for 20 plus years. So I grew up in a home of local politics. My father also still drives our ladder truck first due at three yep. o'clock in the morning. Right. He's been a fireman for over fifty something years. I have two brothers that are in the fire service that also grew up through like I did living in a house of local politics and watching it firsthand. Like I grew up in a town of eleven to twelve thousand people in a seven or nine square mile town. You know what I mean? And that's the municipi- That's the municipality I grew up in. I'm so well-versed in local politics. And in fact, because of local politics and a bullshit nepotism clause, I didn't get hired as a police officer in this town 24 years ago. I could have been a cop. I could have been retired by now. But local politics did not allow me to get that job. Not that I right, want to listen, somebody, man. Somebody
1: I, there didn't somebody there didn't like your dad. That's, that's right. That's
0: exactly yeah. what it was. And there was even there was even conversations on the table to get him out if they guaranteed me employment, right? Like it was all this crazy yeah. bullshit. But that's that's the small town politics stuff. And you should see What's going on now in my town with the politics? I want not so many people have said you need to run, you need to be on that ballot, you need to be a part of the the fabric of the of the the council within your town. I said you're out of your mind. Not only did I grow up with it and watch it, but I'm watching what's happening now. And just like the fire service, and just like everywhere else in the world, it's not what it used to be. It has changed. The dynamics have changed. People are so out to get one another. There is. It's so hard to bring together a township council. And in fact, our community is primarily Republican. So it's not even like it's a a three, three split. You know what I mean? And they still hate each other. And it's, and it's all because nobody's willing to just listen Nobody's willing to compromise anymore. And I, if, if I can leave anybody with this episode today, right? You talked about family, and I agree with your brother. Like, I couldn't take on anything else because the only thing it takes away from is my family. Everything I choose to do in my life takes me away from my family, and I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to be pulled in any more directions than I need to be pulled in because my family certainly matters most, right? And I agree with you, brother, 100%. But yeah. the one thing I can say is this. Shut up, listen, and compromise, You don't always have to be right. You're not always going to be right. And in fact, you're probably never right. There's always middle ground. Find it because that's what we need more than ever. You know what I'm saying? And when it comes to local politics, it comes with being a fire chief, dealing with your municipality and trying to get funding or educate them about certain things. Shut up and listen sometimes, man. Like we always think we all have the answers. And in fact, typically we all have to take away, we all have to learn from that. And we all have to understand that we might not have all the answers and sometimes you got to bite your tongue and sometimes you got to take a step back. I mean, it's all about finding a compromise. Sometimes it goes in your favor, sometimes it doesn't. But just because it doesn't go in your favor doesn't mean that you need to run around and turn your fire department against the town. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah it, it's it's a no win and you know, you're it's funny I had these couple things popped in my head and it's just a discussion I had the other day with someone. And it was it was we we're talking about working. Um, this is a politician I had to deal with in the past, not sure. right now. Yeah. <laughs> but I said, you know, how I figured out how to work with this person, I did two things. A, I always let them believe they were the smartest person in the room. There you go. And I never argued with them. Yep. And then B, I always let them think it was their
0: idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so you know, even, because you, like know to, ch- you know how to you know how to
0: check your pride. That's why.
1: Right. So if you if you sit there and you're like, man, I really got to get these radios on this non-matching grant but they're fighting me well then you go and have that conversation and the next thing you know they're like oh why well, here make the proposal for it and it makes them look like rock stars so as long as it's still a benefit to the fire department you know hey that's it's, it's it's some things you just got to kind of like you said sit back listen don't talk all the time you could probably get a lot further as a fire chief you would just sit back and listen instead of talking like you when know, you like check that's your odd. ego
0: check yeah. your ego and you can go a lot further man I got the biggest ego in the room. I promise you that. But I also know when to tuck it away and put it in my pocket. You know what I mean? It's huge. It's huge. Jared Renshaw, man. Thank you very, very much for joining me today. I absolutely enjoyed this conversation a lot. And I think it's going to bring tremendous value to a lot of people that listen to this. Um, Where can people find you? They want to reach out. They want to shoot you a message or send you an email or Uh, even find your class. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Find me on Facebook. You know, I'm on there. Just shoot me a message. Like, I don't, um, I, I think I have a Twitter. I don't, and I have Instagram. I just use that to like, look at random stuff.
0: Got like national right, fire Netflix. radio, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I, yeah I'm, on, I'm on Facebook. Um, you know, and I, I just say, hey, thanks again. I, I feel this is, you know, we were having this conversation up in Maine and yeah. about, you know, the importance of the political side of the arena and, and how, you know, I just hey, just thanks for the time. You know, I feel it's such an important topic and, to be able to really broadcast it out there and make, you know, people realize that that's huge. So thank you again.
0: I agree with you, brother. And I think it it brings a very important message across the board. And, um, you know, and so I would encourage anybody that listens to this episode, if you're looking for more information about this, Jared's program is fantastic. Check him out, look him up, and ask him to come speak at your organization or to your community or even, you know, involve your politicians and let him come in and educate people about how relationships need to work in the fire service because if we're not working with town hall or the district or the board of fire governors – we're in trouble, man, and uh, and we need we need the most support we could possibly get for the fire service more than ever. So, Jared, fantastic program. Yeah. Thank you for sharing a little bit with, of it today with me and uh, our audience, brother. I appreciate you more than you know. Thank you for being a guest today. I appreciate you.
1: Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate it.
0: Anytime. Stay right here. I'm just going to sign off the podcast. I'll be right back to you. Hang on one sec, okay? Everyone, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. Jared Renshaw, Fire Commissioner at a Western Berks Fire Department, Berks County, PA. The man's traveled across the country teaching, lecturing, writes for national publications. 25 years in the fire service brings a lot to the table. A Fire Chief's Guide to Surviving Local Politics. Part of the job that none of us enjoy, but we got to do it. Get in the trenches, get to know your founding fathers, get to know the town council, the governing uh, fire governors, get to know them, become friends with them, friendly with them, so that we can promote the best for the fire service. So, what a great episode today. Thank you for joining us. And do me a favor take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse, and talk about it. Because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.